interaction between the Lord Jesus and a lost woman in John chapter 4. And I know you're all familiar with the story, and I just want to begin with the main verse that I want to uh, emphasize, and that is verse 10, where Jesus said to the woman at the well, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I want you to notice three things in this verse the gift, the giver, and the living water. You can only get the gift from the giver. And when you receive the gift, that's when you experience and understand the living water. You know, it's interesting in the background to this, in the context of it, we read that Jesus left Jerusalem because the Pharisees were plotting against him. And it says in verse 3 that he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And if you understand the geography of the land, you realize that Galilee is in the north, Jerusalem and Judea is in the south, and in between is this place called Samaria. And Samaria was a place that Jews did everything they could to avoid. But I use that as an illustration because here we find the Lord had to go through Samaria. He goes to a town called Sychar. The original meaning of the word is the village of drunks, the village of drunkards. So Jesus goes to Samaria out of the way in the first place to the village of the drunkards, but it says that he had to go there. And why did he have to go there? Because he had an appointment. It was a divine appointment. You know, Jesus collected outcasts the way some people pick up pennies. Jesus made a habit of picking up castaway pennies. And one of them was a woman at the well. You remember how Jesus came to the well and he said, give me a drink. And she was astounded because the Jews and the Samaritans have no interaction. And here's a Jewish man. Now, this woman, as we learn about her going on in the story, we know that she was wise to the ways of men. So you can just imagine her looking a little suspicious, uh, suspiciously at him. And, and number one, why is a Jew asking me for a drink? And number two, what is his real motive? And so on and so forth. And so after Jesus asked her for a drink, she says, how that you being a Jew ask of me a Samaritan, and not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman for a drink. And that's when Jesus says, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God, you know, my friends, there are people all around you, if they only knew the gift of God. And not only if they knew about the gift, but they knew the only one who can give the gift. Jesus said that you know the gift and who it is who speaks to you because he alone can give that gift. He said you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. And I'd like to ask you, how many people do you think are in this community? How many people do you rub shoulders with every day who do not know the gift? And because they don't know the gift, they certainly don't know the giver. And my friends, that's why you and I are alive. Every single one of us is that lost penny. We got picked up. We are a percentage of the wealth of heaven. We're a percentage, we're a representative in this world of the wealth of his kingdom. 
But what good does it do if no one ever knows who we are and who we know and the story that we have to tell? As it goes on, the woman, of course, continues to talk to Jesus. Uh, in verse 13, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. There are so many details in this story that I'd like to deal with, but I'm struggling very hard to keep on track and stay focused on the, the real issue here. And that issue is physical water versus spiritual water. Jesus loved to use symbols people understood. In other words, he loved to talk in people's language because that's the way he approached people. He approached people where they are. He had an advantage you and I don't have. He could see into the hearts of people. He knew their needs. He knew the obstacles, and he was able to overcome those obstacles in order to lead them to a saving knowledge of himself. He understood this woman and knew her need. He knew the obstacle. He knew six of her obstacles, five past, one present, and he brought those obstacles up, not because he had any desire to shame her. You know, there's something very interesting that Jesus never said to this woman. He never told her to repent. You know, there are people in Scripture who are told to repent, and there are people who are not told to repent. The people who are told to repent are the people who don't think they need it. The people who know they need it are never told to repent. It's a very interesting concept. The word repent, of course, has the idea of changing your mind with the result that it changes your direction. And when a person is complacent and they feel confident in who they are and they're standing in the world and they feel that they're a fairly good fellow, you know, and they'll go to heaven because their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, those are the people that need to repent. That's why when John the Baptist came to the Jewish people saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it was a slap in the face to the Jewish people. No, it's the Gentiles that need to repent. We are Jews. We are the elect. We are the chosen people. No, John said, you're sinners just like everyone else. And therefore, he called them to repent and to show their desire for repentance through the baptism that he offered. When Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him, he will never thirst. This is the first of seven never statements, but you'll find in your notes the seven nevers of the Gospel of John. And this is of utmost importance of anything that I'm going to say to you this morning. This is probably the most important thing. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished for every good work. Every word in Scripture is important, and when Jesus says, we'll never thirst, I want you to get this. He uses the strongest possible negative in the Greek language. U may, a double negative. In English, if we use a double negative, then it reverses the meaning of the sentence, but not in Greek. In the Greek language, if you say, may, the only way we can carry it across into English is absolutely never, ever. Jesus is saying, whoever drinks the water I give, and you and I understand, though the woman didn't, he's talking about eternal life. 
Whoever drinks the water that I give will absolutely never, ever thirst again. It doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. It doesn't mean that we're not going to recognize needs. It doesn't indicate that we're not going to go through struggles in life. But what it means is this. Once you are born into the family of God, there is nothing that can take you out of it. So important is it that Jesus seven times and John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit records these seven statements that say that once you have trusted in Christ at that moment of time in simple childlike faith, you receive the gift that he alone can give. With the gift, you get him, which is the real gift, and nothing is ever going to separate you from it. You have eternal life. And when you have eternal life, you not only have it as a present possession, you have it as a permanent possession. You know, some people don't believe in salvation. They believe in probation. Aren't you thankful that we have the stories of the greats? Moses failed again and again. David failed again and again. Peter failed again and again. I was teaching in a seminary in Papua New Guinea up in the mountains in a remote village. We've graduated over 300 pastors out of this Bible Institute. But I was preaching up there and, and I was talking to them about Peter. And I said, how would you guys like it if Peter could come back from heaven and, and lead you men? And they were, oh, well, that would be so awesome. They got all excited. They're very emotional. And they're grinning at each other and going, yeah, let's, man, wouldn't it be great if Peter could come here? I said, let's study the life of Peter. I only went through Matthew. And I showed them 15 times Peter failed. And when I got done with 15 times Peter failed, I said, how many of you want Peter? And they said, no way, man, that guy's a loser. <laughs> but my whole point was, he's just like us. Jesus leads the woman to the point where she says in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, now watch your English translation because it doesn't tell it as it is, Jesus said to her, the one speaking, I am. The one speaking, I am. That's very important because if you know anything about the I am, you go back to in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, when he said, who shall I say sent me? And the answer from the burning bush was, you tell them that I am that I am. The great I am. Jesus and I am are one and the same. And I tell you that because once again, if you'll look in your notes, which have so much more than I can possibly give you in the time that I have, you will find that there are many I am's in the Gospel of John. Again and again and again, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And every time Jesus made that statement, he is proclaiming, number one, his deity, that he is God in the flesh, and number two, he's proclaiming what he can do. And that is to provide the loneliest lost penny on the face of this planet. The reject, the outcast, like this woman. Later he brings her, of course, to the knowledge that he understands her life. He knows all about her. You've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. And again, he did not do that to shame her. He did it to say, I know you. I know all about you. I know every 
broken heart that you've ever had. I know every tear that you ever cried. And I know the reason that things have happened to you the way they've happened. And I don't hold you accountable. I simply want you to come to the point where you recognize that you have a choice to make.